Welcome to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond podcast. I'm your host. My name is Franz. Welcome back to Sailing in the Mediterranean and Beyond. I am on Skype again. It is uh, middle of December 2023 with Andrew Vick. Andrew has a summer sale to report on. And uh, I was just looking. It's been about a year since we talked. So it's good to catch up with you, Andrew. And I, you've down, I've downloaded your KMZ file into Google Earth. This was basically a route around Sicily to Malta, uh, down to Tunisia, and uh, did you go to Lampedusa? What's that other island in the middle there? You know, I didn't go to Lampedusa, uh, but I did go to Linosa, which is uh, just a bit north. Okay, I'm just looking at this other island uh, just before. Well, we'll cover it when we get to it. So let's start out. Uh, First of all, bring us up to date with anything that's gone on that's new with your life, and we will cover your, your summer sale in detail after you do that. Yeah, yeah, cool. Well, yeah, I'm still here. You know, home base has been San Francisco my whole life, so uh, that's where I, I am. Okay, hold on. There is going to be pounding on in the background on this audio recording. I'm going to try to uh, uh, take care of that, but they're doing some construction in my office, and there's not much I can do about it. So start over, Andy. Just I want to let people know there's going to be pounding in the background and just live with it. So okay. <laughs> I haven't heard it yet. Okay, so. good. Yeah. No, no, me. Um, I'm still here. Yeah, based in San Francisco, where I was born. Um, you know, the the sailing I do in Mediterranean is just kind of a, a summer thing. I go over usually six or eight weeks, uh, have a nice little voyage around with friends, and then uh, and then put her up for the winter. So, um, I've been doing this since 2008. Um, the boat is a 1976 Islander 36, built in Southern California back in the whole boat building boom in the U.S. in, in those days. Um, a couple from the Bay Area here actually sailed it to Europe the long way over the Pacific and Indian Oceans. Um, as they retired from sailing, I bought the boat in 2008, and I've been doing the summer the summer thing every every summer since. So, you know, I bought the boat in Pisa in the beginning, uh, but kind of wound up that first season in Croatia, and then I was I was based in Croatia for. It was 2008, nine through through just about a year ago, through two summers ago. Yeah, we've we've kept up. You've I've still got all your routes on my Google Earth, and I can look at any one of them. I've got them all blanked out right now, except for uh, last summer, uh, because otherwise it's just too confusing. There's lines going everywhere, all over the Mediterranean. Well, primarily in Croatia and Italy. So uh, anyway. Where did you, first of all, where did you winter the boat last winter? Yeah, so two winters ago, or summer 22, I finally, I had this master plan that as much as I love Croatia, and I still think it's just a fantastic place to, to cruise, I uh, thought I needed to see something new. And I actually thought of that earlier, then pandemic kind of screwed that up. Uh, so finally in 2022, um, sailed out of the Adriatic and uh, and sailed about one way to Sicily to there's a town called Riposto, which is um, probably the nicest marina there on the uh, on the east coast of Sicily. So that was in a nice six eight week uh, sailing range from Split down to uh, Riposto. But although at the end of 22, I wasn't, I was doubting myself because I wasn't all that excited with what I saw, sort of you know, under the sole of Italy and missing all those cute little anchorages. So I was, I was kind of kicking myself uh you know once i got to to sicily and over the winter so i wasn't sure how summer 23 was going to go so um but yeah but anyway i flew over uh this june uh to to uh catania uh which is a town on the east coast of sicily one of the main airports there uh went up to riposto uh the boat left the boat uh, floating for uh, over the winter um and I guess when you get to Riposto, one thing you worry about is if Mount Etna has erupted and covered the whole <laughs> harbor and town in, in volcanic matter, which uh, I guess does happen every few years. It's a pretty active volcano. I think one of the most active in Europe, actually. Well, it, it, I was there and it erupted all the time. I was constantly cleaning 
ash off my boat. So yeah, I don't I don't think it's just once a year. It seems like to me it's like several times a year it, it spews ash everywhere. So yeah. So you it got- does actually. I mean, there there were multiple eruptions in that off season from summer twenty two to twenty three. Yeah, it blew up a few times. Uh, I was pretty lucky. I mean, the prevailing winds would take all the ash and matter directly to this town, Riposto, and Riposto. Oops. No, that's all right. That's I'm just that's my wife. I'm going to send her a message that uh, I'll call her later. So. We won't even edit that out. Okay, continue on. So <laughs> I was going to say, Riposto is kind of, uh, well, Riposto is just south of the uh, sort of hilltop town of Terramina. And Terramina is one that has long been a favorite in Sicily and got even more famous when they, they filmed this uh, White Lotus television show there up at the, up at the Four Seasons. So, so Terramina is quite the hotspot now, definitely full of Americans because uh, this TV show was, was huge in the U.S. about a year ago. So... But, uh, but anyway, yeah, Riposto, so the times the volcano did explode, uh, I was lucky the prevailing winds were not blowing. It was, uh, it was winter, um, or for some reason it wasn't blowing from the west. So the town of Catania to the south got a bit buried in sand and ash, and they actually had to close the airport uh, for that a couple of times over the off-season. But luckily when I got there, the, the, the boat was clean. I was so, so happy about that. You got lucky so. because I was there in the summer, uh, three summers ago, and I kept having to clean the boat off over and over and over again. So you were you were lucky. So I'm looking at Riposto, and so you wintered in the water. You didn't pull it out of the water. How did that How did that work out for you? Was that okay? You know, back in Croatia, I always took it out of the water. I mean, right. you're, we're this far away from our boats as, as you and I have been all these years. You know, you you feel better when your boat is 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 up on land. You know, and yeah. not. Yeah. bouncing around in potential you know, storms and dock lines breaking and things like that. But uh, now that the boat came through, yeah, just looked great. It's also a lot easier. I mean, it's, it's a couple of less steps when you leave at the end of the season. You know, you don't have to do that whole, you know, rigmarole of hauling her out and, and doing all that. And same thing when you get there. You can just kind of you step right on board and you're pretty much ready to go. So that part was nice. Of course, the bottom got dirty. I thought I was going to get away with that. So I... So I didn't have the bottom painted. Um, I was hoping that the previous paint job would hold up, and it didn't really. So, so that was a downside to keeping it in the water. Um, I think the main problem with the poster, I, mean, I had an appointment. I had intended to put the boat up on the hard. Um, but, you know, when, you, when you're wrapping up your seat and you pull into to a marina, so let's say there's a marina in a boatyard, you, you need a few days in the water. All right, Andy, sorry for the interruption. Let's continue then. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we were talking about, uh, you know, that I left the boat in the water as opposed to up on land over over the winter, and uh, which did work out well, but I wanted to put it on land. I had always done that in the past. Um, but, you know, I pulled into the marina where the where the boatyard is, and you, know, you always need a few days in the water to kind of do a lot of little preparation before you pull the boat out. And then once the boat is out, there's also a lot of things you kind of need to do before you, you know, close up and, and, and fly away, so... The problem there was to be in to be in the water was a was a hundred bucks a night, hundred euros a night actually, Jeez. for even for my little thirty six foot boat. Number two, once the boat came out of the water, they didn't really want you in the boatyard at all. So, and I'm used to you know I'm in Croatia. I was like I was sleeping on the boat on the hard, you know, the last few days of you know of each summer. So here when they said they didn't even want me around the boatyard in any way. Um, yeah, I was like, well, what do I do? So I do, what am I going to do, like seven days of prep at 700 bucks in the water? And then, yeah, I don't know, I was kind of put off. So I'd already been in the water for about five days at that point. I said, well, can can we apply this five times 100 euros to to a water berth for the winter? And then, so that, that's what we ended up doing. So that's that's why she floated, and she's still floating now. I left her in the sea again in Riposto at the end of this season, so... But I'm definitely going to haul her out uh, before I set sail this this season. The thing is, you, if you're going to haul out anyway for a paint job, you might as well put yourself up on a cradle at the same time. I mean, you're paying you know a few hundred euros for, you know, to, for, for the travel lift. So I see so, I'm looking at your track at Riposto, and I see your exit, and I see your return. So there you are, all the way a big circle, all the way back around then. Basically, yeah, yeah, you know, it's one of the fun things in, in winter, you probably had this too, is kind of planning a route. You, know, you have 
Google Earth open and you're planning and researching, reading Navali, reading blogs, YouTube stuff. And uh, yes, yeah, so I put together a nice route that took me basically a, you know, a clockwise circumnavigation of Sicily that also looped in Malta and Tunisia. Okay. Yeah, so, and I'm looking at this. You've covered a lot of area I have not covered, but quite a bit that I have. Uh, so, so what time of year did you get over and get back on the boat then this year? You know, I used to sail pretty much July and August, mm-hmm. um, which is kind of known to be it's kind of the scary high season. But up in Croatia, this high season was totally manageable because there's just numerous places to anchor. And on the weekends, all the charter boats are, even in August, the weekends, the charter boats are, are back at base. So if you kind of time your Croatian sailing well, you can cope with the high season. Italy, on the other hand, um, I was pretty much afraid of sailing in August in Italy. You know, Italians, the whole country is off for at least two weeks in the middle of August. And this is just, a, I hear, just a complete disaster. Anchorages are crazy full. Harbors are full. So I'm also not a fan of heat. And, and humidity, which uh, Italy has, is, has both of those. Um, so I started June 1st. So I, I got kind of a month head start. So instead of doing the, the June, you know, July-August thing, I did June-July. So especially thinking I'm going to Africa, to Tunisia. I figured it was, you know, the further south you go, the hotter it's going to get. And I definitely didn't want to be down there in any kind of peak heat season. So actually got going on, on June 1st, So, which was nice. It was so comfortable. The weather was... Daytime was perfect. Nighttime, you needed, you know, some some long sleeves. So I liked that a lot in the beginning. In fact, it was even cold by the time I got to Syracuse. You know, a few days into the voyage, it was actually cold and rainy. And, and my boat is definitely not a uh, my boat is a summer boat. My boat is not a boat you want to be kind of cooped up down below waiting for the rain to stop. Yeah. So did so. was this a clockwise or counterclockwise trip around Sicily? Then this is clockwise. Okay. So we're headed south as soon as you, you take off then. Yeah, headed okay. south. You know, uh, first logical stop is Catania. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, kind of a big, big, not very attractive commercial port. But they have a few, um, you know, uh, sailboat pontoons, pleasure boat pontoons that are, you know, reasonable walking distance into town. So like that. Spent a couple nights there. Let me ask you a question. Before you left Reposto, was your fuel tank full? I filled the tank uh, prior to uh, to the winter. Okay, so you had a full tank when you left because uh, when I went into Catania, I couldn't believe for that huge port there was no place to fill up your fuel tank. So hmm. uh, I ended up, uh, and this is when my family joined me in Catania, uh, we ended up going up the up the road or up the up the coast for well probably about ten miles to a little port that actually did have a fuel fuel dock and of course they were closed for the day and uh so we tied up to the fuel dock for the night and filled up the next morning but we were pretty darn empty by the time we got to catania so we had to fill up and i couldn't believe in that huge port of catania there's no place to fill up fuel so yeah Yeah. i I didn't know that i mean luckily i didn't need any there but i mean that that doesn't make any sense at all right but you know, a lot of things down there don't don't make a lot of sense. You know, the crazy thing is Italy is, I mean, Sicily is a big refinery. Like, they have these massive harbors where, where oil tankers come in and where they refine the oil. So it seems strange that Catania wouldn't have any. But, you know, the, the fuel like in Riposta, they have a big sign. They actually are bragging about having this, like, insane fuel quality. They say this is, like, as clean as fuel as you can get straight from the refinery. So they're, they, they brag about it. So whether it's true. Yeah, I see you stopped at one harbor, or maybe you just did an in and out to see what it was like before Catania. What was the name of this harbor then? That one, yeah. we actually kind of didn't. I wasn't excited to go into the big harbor in Catania at first, and I thought we would maybe, we were running a little late, um, but we did poke into that one. It's, it's in Catania town, uh, but it's a little bit north, but there wasn't any space, or we couldn't figure out how to... Yeah, you read Navali, you read your, you know, your pilot books, and they say, oh yeah, there's this place you tie up here and there, and you come in, and there's just no indication at all, at all of where where you could actually tie up. So, so we just had to pull right out again and continue on to Catania. Got into Catania just before dark, um, 
but that worked out. But but I loved Catania in the end. Um, yeah, the two nights there on Pontoon were, were were really nice. Actually, it's kind of a gritty city, a lot of energy, student town. You know, it's 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 fun. It's 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 got life. Yeah, I've been to Catania, and I'm looking at where you tied up as opposed to where I tied up. Yeah, you went to that uh, right up to the dock up there, uh, farther up. And you see, oh yeah, yeah, you were in the left-hand port, and I was in the right-hand port. So you, you were actually much closer to the downtown area than I was. I was over mm-hmm. at the yacht club, the Nautical Club, over there on the uh, far. I guess that's the east side of the bay. So between you and me, there's that big. Uh, well, before be where, between where I was and you all were, uh, there's that big, uh, I guess, pier for the big ships to come in and out of. So you were much exactly. closer. That looks like a much better spot to uh, to be than where I was at. You know, if you're just com- coming in for a couple of nights, yeah, I think so. I mean, I always like, especially in the heat, uh, I don't want to be very far from town at all. And, and, and now, of course, keep going back to a Croatia comparison. I mean, Croatia, you're so used to being in the middle of things. Uh, if you don't have a supermarket within 500 feet, you, you get annoyed <laughs> in Croatia, right? Right. So sometimes you pull into these bigger places in Italy where, you know, the – the, the the sailing harbor was kind of an afterthought, right? Where you're just uh, far from the action. So and then you walk around in the heat. So, but uh, I think that yacht club uh, marina you talked about actually has showers and proper bathrooms. The facilities on the pontoons closer to town are are pretty minimal. I mean, they do have water and power. Yeah, and it so. did have decent showers and def- decent toilets there. So that was that was nice as well. But would still both of us would go in and out of the same uh, entryway there just to the right of the building that goes that you can get out of there from so mm-hmm. exactly yeah, it's a nice secure zone actually i mean it's it's very well i mean because they have the cruise ships coming in they have a lot of there so there's a lot of security so you don't really worry about any riffraff you know coming mm-hmm. in and so yeah yeah the That's first nice time stuff. got a story the first time i went to catania i was with my friend jack mahoney and his wife and i'd never been there before and I, uh, I tied up over by where I tied up this time. And we wanted to go in and get some something to eat. So we walked down the harbor and out the door and, and took the wrong turn and went into a sketchy part of town. I mean, just it was, I mean, we didn't feel dangerous, but it just was a dumpy part of town. And they flew out the next day. And the next day I go in there and I go down to the downtown area where they ha- have the... Uh, the fish market. So, wow, what a beautiful town this is! If you just get to the right part of town, so yeah, I, I actually liked the downtown part of Catania a lot. What What did you think? Yeah, it was great. Yeah, of course, the kind of the periphery is a lot of graffiti, trash everywhere. You're kind of astonished by that. But what the main drag is super cool. You know, the, the classic, the, the Baroque cathedrals, and yeah, the fish market and the cafes, and just just the energy of the place too. So uh, it's, it's it's a great spot. I, I really liked it a lot. Yeah. Okay. So did you, now this is your first crew. How many people do you have on your first crew then on your boat? We were. Uh, we're basically three, so so me plus two, okay. and, which is pretty much the limit of my boat. We could be four sometimes, but uh, okay, but the three is ideal. That's the same on my boat. I don't, I can do four, but it's a lot less comfortable with four. It's okay with family, but just strangers, it's not really comfortable with with four. Three is okay though. Mm-hmm. So yeah, basically, if, if we're gonna be four on my boat, somebody has to come up and bunk with me. So. Okay. Um, <laughs> d- depending on who that might be, it's uh, could, yeah, it has its pluses and minuses. <laughs> <I'd say. laughs> yeah. So there you head from Catania. How long did you stay in the Catania in Catania then? Yeah, I guess that was that was two nights. Okay, it's fairly short then. Okay. Well, there's a lot to see, and I mean, there's a lot to see generally. And Catania, I mean, you go around, you see the town. And it's, yeah, okay. yeah, it wasn't a whole lot to it. I mean, it's a great base for, say, going up and experiencing Mount Etna, for mm-hmm. example. So, Did you go uh, do that? Actually, Did you do a trip up to Mount Etna? You know, my um, my buddy, my, one of my first crew showed up a bit early, and we actually did some mountain biking up on Mount Etna when we were still in Reposto. Okay, okay. That's a big amazing. mountain. I've, I've been all the way around it, and it's, a, it's an all-day trip to r- drive around the outskirts of it. It's huge. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, and it's fascinating. You know, the, the, the mountain really kind of, the volcano defines this whole side of, of Italy. I mean, or, or Sicily. 
you know, especially those living close to it, it's it's part of them. It's kind of like a, like a close relative of some sort. So it really in, impacts their lives, and, and they they adjust. You know, they're used to this. You know, they're going to be earthquakes. They're going to be, you know, road closures, airport closures, and things. So, but they've been rolling with this for you know, centuries. So they're just uh, they're used to her. So then you head down to Syracuse. Were you able to sail all the way down? Because I see a tack that goes out to sea and then another tack that comes down to the north part of Syracuse on your route here. So it looks like we you did. actually had a good sailing day then. We did. We did. Yeah, we had an ice, you know, sort of up. Yeah, we had an upwind sail. Uh, we had to do a couple of tacks uh, when we got fairly close. We were running out of daylight and then fired up the motor. Uh, but, yeah, sailed most of the way, which was super nice. And of course, Syracuse or Syracuse is, I mean, one of the highlights of of Sicily. Um, beautiful bay, beautiful little peninsula, old town. Uh, and the cool part for boaters is that you can stay up to five nights for free, just tied up to to the main the main key, mm-hmm. right right in town. So, looks like you tied up pretty close to where I tied up. Um, so yeah, and that's really nice along there. So that's. Twice I've been to Syracuse, and the first time was pretty much where you were tied up, and then a big wind came up where my boat was on a lee shore. Big wind. So I had to leave the uh, leave the mooring and head out and drop an anchor in the middle of the bay so I didn't get uh, pounded against that wall. Yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it is exposed. You know, it's not the most protected harbor, but the, in normal conditions, um, yeah, we were there too two, three nights, I guess. And, uh, yeah, and we did have a little weather come up. Uh, we, it rained on us. It was actually cold in the evenings. We were really bundling up in the evenings. Um, so, but yeah, but the boat was, boat was fine right there on the key. And yeah, the, the you know, five days free, you don't get any power electricity. You can, you can pay for that service to come by if you need it. Um, but yeah, most cruisers, if you, if you're able to be at anchor for a few days, of course you can be able to be at a, town key for a few days too so i mean that, and that town is just just gorgeous yeah, yeah you can just yeah it's a pretty town yeah especially right there you're right in the old part of town right there right mm-hmm. when you tie it up there yeah but i tell you when we were tying up you know it, it takes a little bit of doing i'm used to all the lazy lines in croatia where they have kind of the, the mooring line already but of course here like greece you put your own anchor down and you back up so it takes a bit of coordinating with your people up on your bow but the the two bars i mean this is a by 7, 8 p.m., we pulled in, and there were two competing bars just on the shore pumping music at us. And we just couldn't hear each other as we were kind of trying to give commands, you know, hey, let a little more chain out or, or what have you. So, but, but we managed. That's a pretty area here. You're different than me. I control the anchor from the cockpit. And, uh, and, and I don't, you know, I want to be able to control it to let, let, let chain out as needed as I back in. And for me, because I've got a full keel, it's much easier for me to get into a berth like that without lazy lines and drop my own anchor than because you can back up and drive like a sports car in reverse, unlike my boat that does not back up at all. If I get that anchor down, then I can back straight back. If I don't get that anchor down trying to pick up lazy lines, I'm going all over the place. So it's mm-hmm. different for me. I wouldn't say my boat is a pro at going reverse, but but probably better, probably more controllable than yours. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So Syracuse, and then from there down to you, where do you head? Do you spend another night in Sicily before you head to Malta, or do you just go straight down? Trying to find a spot if you, uh, on my Google Earth file. If you see like a little green, a little teardrop, yeah. I that means we we probably spent the night, or okay. at least spent a few hours there. So. Uh, yeah, you know, it's, um, we, we, we anchored, so we left Syracuse, we sailed out another 30 miles, and we found really nice anchorage. Yeah, right and around the corner, it. yeah, right around the corner, and I went right by that place. It's cool, and it, you know, it really depends on, you know, you see I poked into the, the main bay, um, I forget what it's called now, it's... Uh, I'm looking yeah. at Leo's, Lido Schiali. Right on the very south tip of Sicily, if that's the one you're talking about. That's where we anchored for the night. I mean, the the better protected anchorage is a few miles back up the um, oh back yeah, up Syracuse. Yeah, I see that one. Huh. So, but uh, we kind of poked in there. It didn't look 
didn't look very sexy, to be honest. And Navli talks about there could be some theft from boats in there. So, and then this the next anchorage we actually found was, and that, but also see, but notice how exposed that next anchorage is. I mean, again, comparing to Croatia, you, I mean, that, that where I did anchor here is yeah, has hundreds of miles of fetch to the mm-hmm, you know, to, to the west, right. right? Yeah. I mean, you can almost draw a straight line. Well, not quite a straight line, but yeah, almost to well, can't draw a straight line to Gibraltar, but. But plenty of fetch, yeah. So as long as the wind's not coming from that direction, you're probably okay, but you're still going to be getting a bunch of swell no matter what happens then. We we were lucky. There was wind from the east and just a very minimal swell from the west. So uh, so we had a nice night. And and I really realized I I just love being at anchor. It's just so nice just just floating there and just it's quiet. So, yeah, so and that's, that was, that's the thing about Italy. You really don't have that many great anchorages to go to, unlike Croatia or Greece or or even Turkey. Uh, but, yeah, there's just not that many. You're hopping from marina to marina a lot more than you'd really like. Yeah, exactly. A lot of marina hopping. And, you know, when you are planning your anchorages, you know, I never had to do this before in Croatia, but you have to start looking up the swell forecast. That becomes kind of a, a big issue. <laughs> To, to determine where you may or not may or may not be able to anchor, so, so in Croatia I never looked at a swell forecast. Oh, okay. So what weather forecasting model did you use? Did you use predict wind or do you use something else? You know, I uh, primarily using the the free version of Windy. Okay, just kind of the, the basic Windy app, okay. um, which which was amazingly accurate. I couldn't believe how it nailed. For the, the wind strength and the, the timing of wind shifts, it was insane how these models work these days. So much better than we used to have. A lot better. Okay. Right, right. So now yeah. you can really sort of pick and choose and, you know, kind of know what you're getting into. So, of course, when you introduce the variable of thunderstorms and things, you know, that that, that then gets a bit too unpredictable. So then you just have to be, be on your toes. But absent of that, man, these, the forecasts are amazing. All right, so you have a big hop, and you head over to the uh, Gozo. You don't go straight to Malta. You went to Gozo then, huh? I did, yeah. Um, yeah, I was trying to figure out. It's funny the, when you look at the orientation of Malta. It's sort of, you know, which, which, <laughs> what do you hit first? <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I did this little zigzag. As you see, a little, S, a little S curve. Um, so that's a good 60 miles. So we got up at sunrise at that anchorage uh, in Sicily. That anchorage, actually, there was a little plaque on the – there's a little island up there. There's a plaque, and that designates the separation of the Ionian Sea from the Mediterranean Sea, which is pretty oh, really? cool. Okay, right there, just just out on that little island there, huh? Mm-hmm, exactly. So from there, it's about 60 miles down to uh, to the island of Gozo, the Maltese island, Gozo. And um, so that's pretty much all day. Uh, I'm going, I'm motoring about five and a half, maybe six, depending. So, you know, there was 60-plus miles, and it was about 12 hours underway. Um and we found our way around Gozo, and then there's this awesome anchorage. Uh, I know you've been in Malta, but this. Well, I've never been anchorage. to that. I've never been to that area, so that's new to me. I went to Gozo, but only on the other side. So I'm zooming in on this, and this looks like a spectacular anchorage. It's it's amazing, and if you click on the little picture icons near it, the Google Earth offers. Uh, yeah, this is insane. This is this little bay, probably I don't know thousand feet in diameter um seemingly almost fully protected by cliffs tall cliffs you know 100 100 plus feet tall um and there are two openings where you know boats you know and potentially swell uh, could come in but spectacular spectacular spot i mean just kind of a you know top 10 anchorage i've ever ever been to you know and, and easy anchoring inside we probably dropped anchor and easy about eight meters or so so even though the you know it was surrounded by cliffs. You know, the bottom was nice and sandy and, and not too deep. You know, it's surprising because usually when you have cliffs going straight down like that, it's too deep to anchor, but it must have flattened out right there then. Yeah, yeah. So there's something about it. I mean, yeah, the whole place is, is pretty manageable uh, for, for anchoring. So, And then, I mean, stunning, beautiful spot. Uh, there are little sea caves to explore. You could paddle your whole dinghy into a, into a sea cave. If you take your dinghy out of the cove or out of that little yeah, anchorage and go up the coast just maybe a mile, 
uh, there's this neat little tunnel. So you, you can actually take your dinghy through a tunnel and you come to what they call the Inland Sea, which is this, it's, it's, it almost looks like it was man-made, but I don't think it was because this awesome tunnel you, you, you take the dinghy through and then you up in this super protected little, little bay. Um, also surrounded by cliffs and they, they take tourists out. So they have little motorboats, um, that they'll take tourists out through the tunnel and explore a bit the, the, the shoreline there. Yeah, I'm but, looking yeah. at that. that. That's it's quite a quite a distance through that tunnel. Probably maybe maybe a quarter mile through that tunnel. It looks like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, it was really neat going through, trying to stay away, you know, from the excursion boats that were already, you know, early June. You know, lots of excursion boats going in and out. But yeah, then you kind of take your dinghy through, you pull it up on the water, and then you kind of roam around there. There's lots of cool, you know, formations uh, to see on land. And I mean, just such a such a cool spot just really like i mean i would go back to malta just for that spot it was so nice so and i would have stayed another night you know, unfortunately uh, when you set up these schedules you know you end up maybe going a little faster than you want to and you, your old analogy of you know ice skating through the louvre right so it's a place i definitely <clears throat> and my crew would have been very happy staying there but hey you set up these routes and you, you kind of you know they, they always tell us cruisers not to sail in a schedule and for the most part i've manage that pretty well but this is a spot where i wish i would have had a you know an extra day oh well so, yeah then you're coming around and spending a little night on camino island it looks like one night on camino then right yeah you know we wanted to um get close to the i guess the blue lagoon is like this famous thing for maltese tourists or tourists in malta to go to but the weather was a little a little shifty. There's some swell. There's some weird winds. So we ended up on that anchorage on the north side of that little Camino Island, which wasn't a very appealing spot. You know, when you come from this, you know, surrounded by cliffs, you know, here, this anchorage we ended up in was, uh, like, I think there was a hotel called Flamingo. There was this decrepit old hotel that it was shut down and it was crowded. It was a weekend and all the locals, you know, were, were in there, but not a sexy spot by, by any means. So. Yeah, I was. At, we were able to anchor and spend a night in the Blue Lagoon when I was there, and and I think that's the area where they they shot some of the film, the the Count of Monte Cristo. Mm-hmm, cool. Uh, yeah, you know, you got that that uh, tower there, and I think that was part of the uh, part of the film. I'm not positive, but I've, I've been told that. So who knows? Well, speaking of filming, you know, just just south of there on the main island of of Malta, what, what's the main island called? Malta. It's just okay. Yeah, yeah. The other island is Gozo. So, but they're all start, part of the same country. So, of Malta. God. Okay. So the main Malta island. Speaking of film sets, uh, we visited this by land, but um, they have the Popeye movie. You know, the the very Robin Williams' very first movie in eighty or eighty one was was a, a real life rendition of the cartoon Popeye and they built this elaborate film set on the island of Malta on the west coast right in this cute little cove and they've managed somehow 40 plus years later to keep this thing intact this is all flimsy wooden construction right but they've managed to keep it in such good shape and it's become a tourist attraction so that was super cool and you could actually even anchor in it in the right conditions which is sort of the asterisk on everything. Like now, once you leave Greece, Croatia, etc., in the right conditions, you can anchor there. But yeah, so there's, there was filming done, which is uh, we we took a taxi. Actually, we took a Bolt, their version of Uber, to uh, to see the Popeye set. So you have so. not cleared in. You're a common criminal at this point in time, still. I guess you know. I wonder about it because we're still in the EU, <laughs> and we're still in Schengen. Uh huh. So. I'm a little confused on, yeah, the implications of all of that. <laughs> I know now when, when you sail between, say, Italy and France, you, there wouldn't be any, you wouldn't have to take any steps. And, and you, you may be right, because when I was there, the, the EU was not the EU. So that was a long time ago. So it was a big deal having to clear out of Italy and then clearing into Malta. But you're right. You, you may be totally right, and I, I'm, I'm wrong. So you never even bothered clearing in then? I didn't clear in, and okay. I don't think I'm, I'm totally right. I think there are certain countries, you know, even though Croatia is now fully EU and Schengen, they want you to check in. Mm-hmm. Greece wants you to check in. And I think Malta also wants you to, to, to yeah, check in. 
and you're not checking in in terms of getting your passport stamped or anything like that. But but I think they want maybe issue some form of a cruising permit or I don't know what the and and that's funny that when you mentioned that we did sleep on that Camino Island one night and then you know the, a patrol boat came by the police came by and they were they finally pulled up to me and then I started getting a little nervous. And they, they were friendly. They said hi. And, and I said, yeah, hey, how's it going? And they said, um, yeah, we're looking up at the, the Malta flag. I did have my Maltese flag showing right up in the starboard shroud. Mm-hmm. You're going to hoist the flag of the country that you're visiting out of respect, courtesy, and it's, it's the law. And, um, <laughs> and he said, it's upside down. <laughs> <laughs> now, the Maltese courtesy flag that we use is it, it's a – it's a bit of a strange-looking flag. It's not very symmetrical. Um, but it was I had hoisted it upside down, which could have come come across as very offensive, I think, in our country. I mean, if you fly an upside-down USA flag, you're uh, you're pretty angry about something. Well, that's an so, that's a that's a distress signal, technically, as well. If you fly, fly it, it upside down, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, so so the cop was yeah. I mean, he sees my U.S. flag on the back. The boat is still fully documented, registered in, in the U.S. Um, so USA flag on the back, courtesy flag up there. And yeah, the only thing he said is maybe you could t- put the flag right side up. <laughs> well, you know, I always when I was sailing in Malta, you know, the courtesy flag that we get to fly is just what just red and white, as I as I recall, right? Um, but the the Maltese flag has the Maltese falcon on it, and I wanted to fly a Maltese flag, and you're not. Unless it's a Maltese vessel, you can't fly that flag. So Exactly. And I had to inquire about this. There are two. So I have this sort of half red, half white flag, and then it has a couple of little small insignias. So, And somehow I managed to hoist it upside down. <laughs> but they didn't have any other questions for me. They weren't concerned, oh, well, this foreign boat did he, has he even checked in or anything like that. So, hmm. Okay. Well, you got away with it. That's okay. One less bureaucrat to deal with. Good for you. So yep. So you, I spent a lot of time out when I was in in Malta, out in Slima, and you did, you skipped it totally by Saint Julian's, and you just went right by it and straight into the big harbor in in Valletta. Then, yeah, part of it was kind of the the, the schedule. You know, the, the mm-hmm. crew had flights, had other uh, crew coming in. Okay. So, um, but I could have used another couple of days, maybe to. Uh, to uh, to explore more, but uh, we were pretty happy coming into the main harbor in Valletta. Found a really nice marina spot in there. I wintered uh, my boat there one year. I had my boat out of the water in uh, in that boatyard right next to where you were at there, just on the okay. other side. So, yeah, that's where I wintered my boat, and uh, I like Malta. I'd go back to Malta in a heartbeat. I, I like the country and I like the people. I think it's a great spot. A lot of people, you know, European friends have asked, you know, hey, you know, I, I, if I lived in Europe, I would probably go down like for long weekends now and then. I mean, in if in non-sailing mode, I mean, such a cool, interesting place to explore. And Valletta, the town, the old town is 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 fantastic. Just massive, sprawling old town you could explore for for days. Did you get out to the old town, uh, out to the fort, um, and go through? The, the the prisons out there at all you know we didn't they were closed either we were too late or we were on the wrong day we didn't get into the actual fortress okay okay i'm trying to think but we definitely i'm trying to think of the movie and i can't remember the name of it but it was about a uh, a smuggler in turkey that got caught at the border and was thrown into a turkish prison and it's all about him getting out of prison and escaping this is back 20 years ago but that was filmed in that fort that was where it was actually filmed so <laughs> cool yeah try to think of the name of the film and i can't bring it to bring it to the front of my mind right now it'll come after we're done talking i'm sure so. <laughs> but it's such a neat place i mean it's so compact i love that when you just walked out of the marina you're smack right in chandleries best boat chandleries like i've almost ever seen abroad anyway of course i mean west marine here is pretty darn good um but great chandleries over there, and and just everything's nearby. You know, I like this. It's a very compact city, kind of like, kind of in the sense that Gibraltar is very compact. But that's because it is a tiny spot. But everything is, everything's just close, and it's so easy to get around. And and 
when you took these uh, taxis or Ubers or Bolt, as they had it, uh, it's, it's dirt cheap to, to go around to. I mean, we had a 45-minute ride across the island to that Popeye movie set. And, I mean, I think it cost us 17 euros or something, you know, less than 20 bucks anyway. And then short rides around town usually came in at a couple of, couple of euros. So, so I have a feeling that income levels there are, for the most part, fairly low. Yeah. Okay. I came up with the name of the movie Midnight Express, nineteen seventy-eight, uh-huh. by okay. Alan Parker. That was filmed in Turkey. The prison scenes were filmed in Turkey in that fortress. Mm. So yeah. But but Malta was cool. Malta is crazy too. You pull in and you have beautiful old fortress, you know, classic Mediterranean thing on one side, and then the other half looks like Miami. You know, mm-hmm. you have all these high-rise buildings butting up right along the the the, the shore of the bay in there. So. Yeah, and I see you poked around and into the big commercial port too. Just came out and went back into the commercial port just to look to just to take a look at it. It looks like. Yeah, on the way out, you know, after I think three nights or so there in Valletta, we uh, on our way out again, continuing south. Yeah, yeah, we poked in. It was, we saw it from land. We saw it was pretty neat, so I wanted to kind of take a little look in there. So take take some photos, of course. So. Yeah, and there's lots of marinas on that side too. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just. Place is just surrounded by boats. Yeah, a lot crazy of, amount of boats. A lot of charter fleets are registered out of Malta, and a lot of private yachts are flagged out of Malta for you know for one reason or another. But yeah, I, I think it is one of those kind of uh, flags of convenience. Yeah, flags of convenience places. So right, 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 and they've been known to sell EU passports for wealthy people, and mm-hmm. you know they're a big. A lot of their uh, uh, online gambling is is welcome there. So a lot of companies set up shop there to manage their online gambling uh, websites. Hmm. Okay, so, didn't know that. So they seem to be one of those sort of like a, in a Cyprus kind of way, a little bit kind of slightly sketchy, <laughs> slightly sketchy small island nations, right? Yeah. Well, you uh, continue around the island. Went now here. I'm. We're going to places I've never been from here on out for. Until we get back to Sicily again, so you're heading out and you're going around the east side of uh, of Malta, then. Yeah, and now we're in a bit of a hurry because of weather, actually. So our goal is to get to Tunisia, and um, and there's some pretty nasty westerlies that are going to be setting up uh, a few days later. So we were kind of under the gun. It was it was part of the the, the general plan, the general schedule, but we yeah we couldn't really dilly dally, uh, so we left. Malta early, you know, one afternoon, went around, we explored into a couple of bays. We got fuel. That deepest bay there on the south tip of, of Malta has this funniest little fuel dock. <laughs> you, know, you just pull in, you don't really know where you're going, you don't really see anyone, but finally we, we, we found someone who had the key to unlock the, the pumps. So, because we, yeah, pretty eager to get us uh, fueled up. Yeah, you zigzagged around quite a bit in that bay, it looks like, before you could figure out where the heck to go. Sort of what yeah. I would be doing, yeah. Huh. And you're pulling in, and the wind is building, and they have these um, these, these gas tankers in there, right? These, these big ships that uh, have these domed gas, like natural gas containers, and you know, kind of too scared to sail too close to them. You know, they, they start shooting at you because they're getting nervous. Or... So... But a funky little spot, you know. Uh, the anchorage just around the corner before that, we dropped anchor for for lunch. A little anchorage just around the corner from that. Uh, okay, yeah. Which, which was super pretty. Yeah, it looks like there's in this. As I'm looking at Google Earth right now, there's quite, there were quite a few boats anchored in there when they took this image. So yeah, it looks like a popular spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a little place. But uh, yeah, but we were yeah we were wanting to get to get onto Tunisia before the the big westerlies we were going to build in. So we filled the fuel. I guess it was probably early evening, and then we just jetted out of there and uh, pointed straight towards Linosa. Now, of course, you mentioned Lampedusa earlier. That's kind of the more known island, and unfortunately, kind of the the southern frontier of Europe. They've had to put up with a lot of uh, you know. You know what do you call them? Immigrants, migrants. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, migrants from Africa. So that's that's been kind of the front door down there. So, but the, and I would have gone to Lampedusa. It was part of the original plan, but uh, 
the way the wind was setting up, we didn't want to put ourselves too far south. So, so we pointed at Linosa, um, which is basically due west. Uh, we motored uh, through the night and uh, fairly comfortably made it to Linosa about eight, nine in the morning. Natalie said there wasn't really a good spot to stop in Linosa. Um, but we kind of got there. We say, well, at least we're going to get some internet. So we'll get the very latest weather forecast, see if anything has changed with the wind models. Um, but as we're passing by, you know, we're kind of looking at this tiny little harbor. This guy waves and says, oh, yeah, you can come on here and just, just med more right to the key. So, so I said, well, what the heck? Let's, uh, let's just check it out a little bit. And um, so we did that as he directed. But then I got nervous that uh, my anchor probably landed in a big mess of boulders. So one of the first things I did once we... Uh, got situated, got settled. I, I jumped in the water for a look and man, that was the rockiest bottom I've almost ever seen. And the anchor had just disappeared between some boulders. And I said, we're never going to get this thing up again. So, so I was pretty, pretty flustered. It was actually, this became one of the more stressful situations I got myself into in, in all these years, actually, because there's a building breeze and uh, and if we were to untie our two stern lines trying to go and then found that our anchor wasn't going to come up, the wind would have rotated us around and had us blown up on the rocks of the breakwater. So there's basically there's no space to, to wiggle or maneuver or kind of like, you know, kind of deal with the, the stuck anchor. So which was only about five meters deep. And unfortunately, none, none of us are good, uh, good free divers on the boat. So I think that's one of the. If you're cruising around, you're taking on crew. I think that's probably one of the better attributes a crew, a potential crew could have is the ability to free dive. Okay, yeah. Don't you think you're always dropping, you know, you might drop something or you just, your anchor's stuck. And if someone can go down 10 meters and then wiggle an anchor around, I mean, that's a great skill to have. Yeah, so what did you do? Were you able to retrieve your anchor then? Yeah, well, yes, they're, they're sitting there debating like, God, we're... Can we get a line across the harbor to temporarily support us in case the anchor doesn't come out? Like all this stuff. Um, turned out there was a, a little tiny dive operation going on. I mean, it's Linosa Island. I mean, there's about 100 structures on this island, but somehow there was a little dive operation happening. So there's a, a rib kind of coming and going with, with divers on it, little tourists in and, and their scuba gear. So, so. This uh, this girl working for the dive operation said, "Yeah, yeah well, well, when I come back in ninety minutes, we'll, we'll get it. We'll get it sorted out." I don't think it was the first request. Uh, so so we wandered around the island. We bought a few things. I tried to check out. Okay, talking about regulations, I did want at this point check out of the out of the EU and the Schengen zone. Um, but uh, Linosa did not have such an office. They had a little police station, but they said we had to go to Lampedusa for that. So. So, uh, so we didn't accomplish that. Um, so I actually did not check out of the EU when, uh, when going over, which is on two fronts. You know, it, it's handy for the boat to get stamped out, right? Because that resets your VAT clock. Uh, and then for Schengen's own purposes, you know, having, you know, I'm almost, as Americans, we can only really be there 90 days out of 180. So that would have stopped the clock. So, um, yeah, but yeah, I decided to be, uh, yeah, be a bit of a bandit and decided not to. Well, our only option was to sail down a limb. Well, anyway, we got back to the boat. The diver met us, um, and 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 she. It took some doing, but uh, but she she got us free. So did she charge you? Stuff. Did she charge you? Did you give her some money for it? She said, you know, it took her fifteen minutes. Uh, she said, just give me what you think is right. So we, I think, we gave her thirty euros, and she seemed plenty happy with that. So. So that was that worked out, but it was pretty stressful because I was, even if we had kind of just stayed put, I felt like with the building weather, that it was going to get a bit uncomfortable. It's the most minuscule little little harbor there. Yeah, I'm looking at it. There doesn't mean look to be very much wiggle room in there at all, and I would be nervous as could be going through that passage to get in there. That yeah, not much right? room. Yeah, there's not much no, room. It, and the anchor is basically sitting right in the narrow spot of the, you know, the breakwater, of the gap in the <laughs> yeah. breakwater. So, okay, yeah, so yeah, I was probably sh you, you somehow 
trust locals, right? Guy waving you and saying, okay, let's do that. Yeah, the, Common, I mean, what, what's better than local knowledge, right? Well, they run boats that are, have uh, like six inches of uh, draft. So for them, it seems like plenty of room. But so they don't understand a five-foot draft on a boat. So. Mm-hmm. So it turned into like a four-hour stop, but it was kind of cool. We walked around. It's a completely volcanic island. There's just lava flows everywhere. It's 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 a neat spot. It's a really neat spot. So, but uh, but again, we were trying to beat some weather, so uh, so we got going. And um, if you see on Google Earth, you know we didn't take the straight line to uh, to Tunisia. We actually on purpose uh, arced about twenty miles. It's about a hundred miles of straight line. We went about twenty miles north of the rum line. Yeah, why did you um, do that? You know, we had we had beautiful wind. Let's say when ah, we were okay. starting out, we okay. we had a beam reach starting out, uh, even a broad reach. But we knew, as Wendy had told us, that the wind was going to clock around to probably twenty five, and not quite on the nose, but it was going to clock around and make things pretty uncomfortable. So we figured our sort of final approach towards Tunisia, we needed to gain some height um, so that we wouldn't be taking a direct hit from the waves. So, yeah, so we fully sailed a you know, 20 mile, you know, north detour north out of the way on, on just a hundred mile rum line. Um, the strategy kind of worked. I mean, had we not done it, we would have really gotten our butts kicked, but, uh, you know, those, the final couple hours into Tunisia were, yeah, we were not comfortable, you know, just, and this is an old boat. This boat's from nine. This boat is 47 years old. Now uh, I did do the rigging a couple of years ago. There was fresh standing rigging, uh, but we're starting to get, you know, pounded by some seas, you know, bashing, you know, just getting wet, just not, not comfortable. And, you know, the only way, I mean, yeah, had, you know, had been able to, you know, bear off and go on a broad reach, it would have been pretty fun, except that then Libya would have been in our sights. And we definitely weren't going to, going to sail for Italy, for, for Libya instead. So I'm, I just did a measurement. It's about 105 miles approximately from Linosa up to where you went and back down. So that's a 24-hour sail at the minimum, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It was, yeah, and then with the 20, you know, 20 miles off the rum line, it definitely added. But we ended up taking just about 24 hours. So we pull in. I mean, God, we're just getting our butts kicked. We're just slamming. You know, the boat's going really slow, right? These are steep short waves right so we're just hitting you know hitting these waves and just you know boat speed drops you know went from sailing at seven to you know kind of double reef bashing in and you know doing three and a half so and then there's an island in so we're going to monastir which is kind of a spot there in tunisia um and we're kind of looking at the approach there's this big island kind of on the approach there's a there's a shipwrecked oil tanker about 600 foot long probably visible on google earth you know it's it's stranded on the reef so it's very ominous as we're as we're approaching it we actually try to heave to behind that island just to give ourselves a little break but uh i never heaved to my boat before and um and but the boat was moving hove to you know the with the jib back winded we were still moving a bit too fast so we were kind of moving a, you know, away from the protection of the island, even though we were hove to, you know, probably at a knot and a half or something. So, but we couldn't get the boat to kind of stay, stay put. And I guess when you heave to, I don't know, do you ever heave to your, your Yeah, boat? we did. I did that on my crossing several times. And you are always moving, but you're supposed to be moving basically flat downwind with your boat about 45 degrees to the wind and just pushing you slowly downwind. You're supposed to stop all forward movement. So the movement is basically sideways movement. Uh, mm-hmm. And my boat does that really well. I, so different boats do it differently. And, you know, your boat may not want to heave too very well. Yeah, well, and, and of course, yeah, boats will move. So I'm not sure if we were going forward or not, but we were definitely not staying put long enough to be in the lee of the island. Well, anyway, but the lee of the island anyway gave us a little bit of a little bit of a break. And then we kind of wiggled through some... Uh, some of the reefs and then uh and then finally got into the port which was a big relief and of course the tunisians are very picky you gotta you know radio ahead a certain amount of time ahead get permission <laughs> so but it all went pretty smooth we pulled in uh the marina assigned us directly to a slip and then the uh the customs guys and everyone well came down and told us 
to you know, what to bring, come up to the office, et cetera. So, so pretty straightforward clearing once you got through, got in then? Well, it's kind of nerve wracking, you know, here, I'd never been in Africa before. <clears throat> and uh, I mean, I was confident it would be fine. I mean, plenty of boaters. It's a great marina full of foreign sailboats. Um, uh, but still, you know, there's, you think there's bureaucracy in Greece, Croatia, Montenegro, and all that. I mean, the bureaucracy here, you know, from my reading, was is just off off the charts. So, yeah, we so we were pretty nervous anyway. But we got in, you know, we we went into the the office, and they're very stern, and and they're asking all these questions, looking at your passports, and then they come, they inspect your boat. So. That's the first time I was bored in Montenegro years ago, but that was just a, a two-minute formality, I think. Well, this guy came on, and he, he spent a good, well, about 30 minutes into the search, and he was opening everything. <laughs> Remember my friend, one of my crew, he'd been collecting fridge magnets, and they're all wrapped up in this little funny, like, foamy kind of uh, paper, <laughs> which looks like it could be a little packet of drugs or something. So he, he's having my crew open every one of his fridge magnets. <laughs> looking, What's this? What's this? <laughs> so... And I don't know, you also read about if they want some bribes or something. Um, but I don't know, 30 minutes in, I could see the guy was getting really sweaty. I mean, it was at this point, you know, mid-afternoon. He's, you know, we're down below on my boat, you know, three, four of us in the, in the main cabin. And, and he's just sweating. So finally, he just, he just uh, gives up and says, okay, sir, we're, we're, we're done looking around. You're fine. Just, uh, just tell me how much cash you have on board. Not that he wanted any, I didn't think. And I said, oh, yeah, sure, sure, yeah, here's the cash. And it, was, and it was, I don't know, if you have more than 1700 U.S. dollars worth of cash on you, this isn't good. You need to declare it. So he's like, why didn't you declare this? I said, well, I don't know, let's just, just have a stash of cash on board, you know, kind of handy. <laughs> and, uh, and that became a big ordeal. Said, oh, we have to certify this so taking inventory of the number of 20s, the number of 50s, the number of, of hundreds. Then we go back up to the office, and then he says, and you have to take now this form to the airport to declare your cash. <laughs> and all this, I'm like, what? What's all this? Oh, man. So, Well, I think, I think I probably was looking for some sort of bribe, but the problem is you and I – we don't live in a bribe culture. We don't know how to even do give a bribe or suggest a bribe. Right. And we we wouldn't have the slightest idea. Wouldn't think would be thrown in jail for even talking to him about a bribe. And I think in that part of the world, it's it's pretty common to give a gift uh, for services. Uh, you know, can you just do this? I'll give you $10, $20 to take care of this for me. And that probably would have taken care of it for you, you know, but... You don't know. You're you just don't know what to do in those situations. Yeah, it was. And you, you I mean, the, you can read about it. You can do research. Um, I've heard both. I've heard people coming into Tunisia and it's super straightforward and everything, no bribe, no nothing. Then you you read the opposite sometimes too, that they kind of almost ask for it, or they, and the people are bringing you know kind of these smaller bottles of liquor or whiskey bottles, cigarettes. Well, cigarettes is that a thing? Maybe. Yeah, it could be. Who knows? Yeah, wherever they get their their uh, tariffs. So if you're avoiding tariffs or customs, that's what they're probably smuggling in and bringing in. So I know I got caught going into Canada one time with too much alcohol and on my boat. I'd come from the States, and they said, oh, how much alcohol do you have? And I said, oh, I have a couple bottles. And they said, okay, get off the boat. I get off the boat, and they go down through my liquor cabinet and put every bottle I've got out on the table. And they said, oh, you got a little more than a couple bottles here, don't you? And I said... Yeah, he said. Well, next time, make sure you declare it, and that was about it. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, Franz, I didn't take you as a big drinker like that. That's, uh, well, that's I always, cool. you know, you always have them for clients, and I'm, I am not a big drinker, but I'll have a drink every night or every other night or something like that. But no, I, uh, yeah, yeah, you have clients get on your boat, they bring you a bottle of scotch or something, so you throw it in the liquor cabinet. I've got bottles of scotch that people gave me. 20 years ago still on there that I just I'm just not that big a scotch drinker but yeah I have it but that was up in Canada and yeah that was they were big on that the other thing in Canada that they get after you if you have mace that's considered an offensive weapon so they'll confiscate your mace my wife Mm -hmm. had some in her her purse and they confiscated it so (laughs) anyway 
So continue on. So how long did you stay in Monastir? Did you do some land-based travel at that point in time? Were you changing crews? What were you doing? Yeah, not changing crew. Um, but we yeah, we were there probably three nights. We did some land travel, rented a car. Um, actually, the first car we, we rented, this is where things got kind of funny. So we're, we're, we noticed the night before there were some car rental shops in town that looked pretty legit. So I mean, we're not talking about a Hertz or a budget or things like this, you know, but but, you know, legit looking company. So we go around and me and my two crew and, but then this, this local guy comes up and I guess he had recognized us from the Marina. So he says, Hey, my friends, my friends, said, what's you up to? And oh, we're going to just rent a car. I said, Oh no, you, you got to do it from this place. This is, uh, there's a good guy around the corner. So he walks us around the corner, looks semi-legit, you know, this is an office and you know, rent a car and a big lit plastic sign. So, so uh, but the car they gave us, we noticed, we said, oh, the gas tank's pretty pretty low, we said. <laughs> he says, yeah, that's fine. Just return it low. And it's, oh, that's annoying. It's kind of always hard to kind of time that. But uh, but anyway, we proceeded with the deals, you know, 50 euros or something for the day to have this car. And then uh, but I think within a mile, we, we ran out of gas. Jeez. <laughs> oh, so they, they suck it dry on purpose. They get every bit of gas out and put it in their own cars and leave you an empty car to, to rent to you then i've seen that I, that's happened to me all over europe that seems to be pretty, pretty pretty common they never give you a full gas tank they always and i've seen them in turkey actually sucking gas out of rental cars after you've returned it so they send it out empty and then then it comes back with more than than they had in there to begin with because you can't like you say you can't time it i always leave a quarter tank of gas in there and they just basically take that and and use it, especially in Turkey. I saw that a lot in Turkey. So, uh-huh, okay, yeah, <laughs> so, because inevitably, if you're supposed to return it empty, it's probably going to be more than empty, mm-hmm. right? Right. Yeah, because you don't want to time it. You're, you're not going to take the risk of having an <laughs> driving in <it> on fumes. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh my. Well, so, yeah. That's that. That exact scenario didn't actually occur to me. We we're wondering what the catch was. Um, but we were mad, so we just left the car and you know double parked on some busy street. We hailed the nearest cab. There are cabs everywhere, um, and we just went straight back to his office. We were super angry. Coming, we just slammed the keys on the on the table. We say, you know, you give us our money back, or we're not going to tell you where your car is. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, oh man, and then you know my one crew spoke pretty good French, so they went at it for a while. And, it was just really uncomfortable and aggravating and, and, and angering also, you know, and in the end, it turns out, I mean, there was a tracker in the car. So the, the guy knew where the car was. So, but he kept saying, no, we'll sort this out. We'll bring some fuel out to it and stuff like this. But uh, we were so angry. We just, we just, we just walked away. So you went to somebody else to do it. Were they better to deal with then? You, you know, and that took, that took a couple hours, that whole ordeal. So, um, by that time, we just said, well, we'll save the rental car for the next day. The next day, there was a great little you know, rental shop right there in the marina, and we rented from him, no fuss, no hassles, and had a great time. We drove inland. They have this amazing, uh, like a Roman Colosseum. It was not in Rome, but the Romans put a beautiful Colosseum, which is in great shape. You know, it's a couple-hour drive inland, um, but it was beautiful, beautiful stuff. It was amazing just driving around. You see things you don't see in the U.S., though. I assume you don't see this in Utah either, but we're driving on the road, and there's, there's a little roadside grill. You can stop and get some food, and they're grilling some meat. They're grilling some lamb. But the thing is, right next to the grill is still the remnants of the lamb he just slaughtered. So there's this, you know. So the innards are sitting there, huh? So the, the, the carcass of what you're eating is still kind of hanging there, and right next to that are a couple of more live sheep in a little pen. <laughs> so... There's things you don't you don't see too much. I mean, in a way, it's kind of like farm to table, right? I mean, this yeah. thing has never been, not even it's never been frozen for sure, never even even been refrigerated. This thing has gone straight, you know, straight from farm to table. <laughs> so we didn't we didn't eat from that particular stand, but we started thinking probably these other restaurants and places we've been eating are probably doing pretty much the same thing. <laughs> I was so, in uh, I was in a little port in Greece one time and I was sitting in a, in a, a little taverna up on the hill. I was looking out over the hill and you could see there's some goat pens out there and I saw the farmer go out to the goat pens and you could hear the bleeding of the uh, 
of the goats as he slaughtered them, and then you saw him walk back with a couple goats over his shoulder back to the farmhouse. So that's the closest <laughs> I've come to that. And I'm sure that they were feeding that to uh, to the people that were eating at the restaurants around the marina. It wasn't a marina, just this anchorage at night. So, yeah, it, I've seen that's the closest I've seen, not to actually see the uh, carcass sitting there next to the grill. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, we're used to supermarkets and things, right? But uh, that's a way to do it. I mean, I'm not going to, not going to criticize it. I mean, we're, we're all killing animals to eat them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Oh man. <laughs> so, but great drive, just a really interesting country and watermelons everywhere. And uh, uh, the marina itself is really nice. You know, talking about being Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. We've gone an hour, and I'm going to clap my hands, stop it here, and and start a uh, a new interview because we've we still we haven't even gotten halfway through the summer yet. So hold on a sec. All right, thanks for listening. We will return with part two in the next episode. The website for sailing in the Mediterranean and beyond is www.medsailor.com. Again, medsailor.com. short. In the end, all that really matters is the memories you make. So make a few. Go sailing. Joel, you want to know something? What? Every now and then, say what the f***. What the f*** gives you freedom? Freedom brings opportunity. Opportunity makes your future. If you can't say it, you can't do it.